know what I mean? Like, it's like herding cats. It's like herding cats. Cattle. Cats are harder. All right, guys, we're going to... We're going to get started a little differently this morning. I, 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 want, to, I want to establish something that, um, that we've seen during the week and that God's been speaking to us about. And I want to establish that before we go into worship because I really feel like there's something that, that God is starting to do in this city and in this nation. And as we heard from Paul a few weeks ago, there's, there's two ways I think that that's going to be established through prayer and through worship. So I want to, I want to outlay something and then we're going to go into to a time of worship and and really put something on the, on the table that, that maybe some of us haven't before. So we, there was a few of us just recently this weekend who have been at a, a conference, or not a conference, but have been away in Melbourne at a, um, a celebration, if you like, called Awakening Australia, where some guys came together to really usher in the, the, the presence of God into this nation. And I normally don't like conference things I've avoided them because to me they've always been a big show but God spoke to me on the lead up to this event and and Jess and I felt strongly to go so we went and it was phenomenal absolutely mind-boggling to see at one stage they said there was there was just over 30,000 people in a stadium singing the name of Jesus half of which haven't hadn't been saved well probably less than half but hadn't been saved before had just found a love had just heard the name Jesus and it was incredibly powerful. There was, two, there was two times that absolutely rocked me. There was, on the first day, there was probably less than that, probably 20,000 people in the stadium. And the guy who was leading it, Ben Fitzgerald, came out onto the stage. He fell to his knees and he went silent. The band stopped playing. The entire crowd was silent, not a sound. And we, we stayed there for about 10 minutes. And it, it really challenged us in the way of, the church that has been built, especially in the West, we want something to be happening in order for it to be fancy and exciting. But what he showed in that one moment in a crowd of so many people was, God, we'll wait for you. We will wait for you, whatever that looks like. And it was, it was gripping to see that many people silent, waiting for God. So often we see, these church, we see churches now, ours included, where we're trying to, to make things fancy. We're trying to fit a particular style. We're trying to do a certain something. But in this moment, this guy who got gathered so many people in refused to move. He refused to bring the speaker out who would come from all over the world, big name speakers, Bill Johnson, Hardy Baker. He refused to let them come on stage because he was waiting on God. And the cool thing was that when those guys came on stage, Heidi Baker came out, she dropped to her knees and she decided, we're going to wait even longer. I'm going to wait for God. And then she stood up and she expressed something to the crowd that was just mind-boggling. It was, it was life-changing what she put on the table. And the reason that she understood what to tell the people was because she understood what God was saying to her. So she came out and she stood on the stage and she was praying loudly in tongues. She was, she was seeking the guidance of, of the Holy Spirit in order to lead the people. And, I, and as I stood there, I thought, Flip, you know, we have such, so much to learn from that, that as a church, we will wait for you, God. As a church, we will dim the lights, we'll stop all the, all the fancy riffraff and we'll drop to our knees and we will wait for you to move. As, I was, as we were flying into Melbourne, God, I was reading a book that I had just started in the first chapter. I read a story in the chapter and... The moment I finished reading it, 
I put the book down and, and God showed me a picture that I didn't understand. And then we finished the weekend and I understood it. So I'm going to share that picture that I saw on, the, on the, the plane and I read. But God showed me a different interpretation than what the book explained. So I want to explain that and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the power of God. And then we're going to take communion and then we're going to worship and we're going to wait for God. I know that there's not, doesn't seem like there's many people here, but Hardy Baker said something that, that rocked us to the core. She said, we're little, 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 little people compared to what God's going to do. We're little people compared to what he can do in a nation. That this small community of people can radically change this city. Because God is in us. That's, what, that's the whole point of this thing. That it doesn't matter because God is in us. So the story that I read was there was a, a dictator who, who was leading a, a, a small town in a desert land. And the town didn't have any water other than a, a well that was below the, the, the town. And the people had to go and they had to go to a well in order to get the water. It was hard work in order to see the water come. And, and from time to time, the well that was underneath the town would well up and it would flood the city. And it would ruin the shops, it would ruin all their homes, the, the water would rush through the city and ruin everything. So the dictator decided something had to be done to stop the water from rushing through the city. So he plumbed down into the well, into the water, and he covered the entire city with concrete. And he built, he built houses and things out of concrete to stop the water from flowing up. And he tapped down into the water. So the people could go to the taps that he put out throughout the city. They could go and get water out of the taps, but it was, it was given by the dictator, by the ruler of the land. Then the ruler decided that the water that was coming out wasn't as healthy as it could have been, so he started to add things to the water. He put minerals and, and flavors and things in it to try and make the people healthier. So much so that the, the, the taste of the water, the flavor changed as they begin, began to draw the water. Generations and generations passed, and because of the concrete, the water failed to well up and flood the city. Generations passed, and they forgot the taste of the old water. They forgot what, what the fresh water used to taste like when it would flood through the city. Until one day, a, a, an earthquake quake cracked the concrete, and the water began to well and swell, and it filled the city once more. It flooded the place, completely encapsulated all the homes and all the shops and everything that was in there. This fresh water flooded the entire place. And those that remembered the stories from their forefathers remembered what the water tastes like. They said, this was the water that my forefathers used to talk about. This is that fresh water that brings life. And as they began to speak of that, the, the, the city began to well with green grass and trees began to grow again. The concrete began to fall away. But there was another group of people who began to panic. And they complained and they whinged because everything that they had built was now being torn apart by the fresh water. Everything that they had put in, their homes, their shops, everything was filled with water. And they began to complain and, and gripe to say, this wasn't the way that we had wanted it to be built. This wasn't the way that we had designed it. But the water kept moving and kept ruining and kept growing and kept building. As I sat on the plane, I closed the book and... and God, just show me that that's what we've done with the church. Is that we've tapped down into the Holy Spirit, the water, the fresh spring of life, and we've said, we'll give it to you how we want to give it to you. 
And God's saying, no, that's not how it was meant to be. It was meant to flood that place. It was meant to fill that city. It was meant to fill that town and ruin the traditions that you've put up, ruin the things that you've put in place. There's a purpose and a plan. There's things that I want to grow. There's grass that you can run in. But because we're so locked on what we've seen before, we stand in the place and we say, God, not like this. Not like this. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be safe and we want it to be held in such a way. And God's saying, when I pour my spirit out, you get to decide which one you are. You get to decide whether you run through the streets and dance and declare the goodness of the spirit that flows. Or we get to stand and say, God, not like this. This is not how you did it. We're going to do it a different way. We were standing in the, in the crowd and we were just watching God move. And it was peacefully chaotic. Peacefully chaotic. To the point where I stood back, I said, God, I don't know what this is. But I know it's you because I can feel my spirit just on fire. You see, when we actually let go, when we, when we say to God, I want you to move, we're going to sing a song in a minute. And I want to challenge you that if you sing this song and you declare it with your heart, God's going to move. And it's not going to look how you want it to look. God's going to come forth and he's going to bring something. He's going to bring something to us when we ask him to move. And it's not going to look how we want it to look. If you've got a Bible with me, can you go to Exodus 4? I realize we went from laughing and joking to incredibly serious. I, I do get that. But I, I've been carrying this thing all week and I've been so excited for what God's done. I've, I've rang all the guys that we partner with and said, God's doing something. God's doing something. I can feel something moving. And I, I want us to take this into worship because I think it's going to be powerful in the way that we actually step into that. Exodus 4 verse 1, Then Moses answered, this is, just after, this is just after Moses has seen the bush on fire. God's spoken to him through a burning bush and he's asked him to go into Egypt and to free the people. The first thing that Moses says, Moses answers, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say that the Lord did not appear to you. The first thing that Moses says, he sees the most incredible miracle. He hears the voice of God and he says to them, I cannot go. They will not believe my voice. Man, how many of us have done that? How many times have I cried to God and said, they're not going to believe what I have to say. They're not going to take what you've given me. Give it to somebody else. But God says something incredible to Moses. He says, Moses, what is in your hand? What have I given you? What do you hold that I've given you, Moses? See, God's given all of us something. He's given us the ability to see this thing move. He's given us the power to step in and actually make something happen. But he's given it to us. So the thing that you hold and the thing that you hold and the thing that you hold, if you don't use that, that thing's not happening in the place. Because then he says to Moses, what do you hold in your hand? And Moses replies, a staff. Because we don't understand the things God's given us. I hold a staff. What do you want me to do with that? 
Of course it made no sense. What was Moses going to do? Beat Pharaoh until he gives him the people? Of course it made no sense. But God says, but Moses, you don't understand who I am. Watch what I can do with that staff. And he says to Moses, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws the staff on the ground and it becomes a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. You see, God gives us something and we don't understand what, he, what, it, what it is. And then he reveals it to us and it scares the crap out of us. You don't think that when, when God showed me the, uh, the, the vision or a, a plan to lead a church that at 22 years old or what, however old I was, like it was a long time ago, but God... You don't think that for me, I, mean, I feel like this week's gone for months, but you don't feel like for, for me, I looked at that and said, God, are you kidding me? And every day I wake up and go, God, I, what do you want me to do with this stick? What do you want me to do with it? He says, throw it on the ground and I'll show you. And then he shows me a little bit more and I go, no, that's too scary. I can't do that. Pick it up and I'll show you what it looks like. You see, God is calling every one of us into something. Every one of us holds some kind of a staff. But we talk ourselves out of it, just as Moses did. We say to ourselves, I don't know what to do with that. That's too hard. Or I don't know what to do with that. It doesn't make any sense to me. And God's going, if you will be faithful and toss that thing on the ground, I'll show you what I'll do with it. And I'm not going to talk about it later, but obviously we see that snake to actually go on and he uses that snake to, to reveal his power. But there's something else interesting that happens in here. 4 verse 5, that, that they may believe that the Lord, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. It's a sign to say that what you've said holds weight because of the staff that you hold. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you, Moses. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Moses, I will give you the things that you need. I will restore you to a place that you need in order to go and do my work. I'll give you the abilities and the gifts and I'll give you the wholeness to go and continue my work. And if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the ground, from the Nile, and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my God, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord says to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I shall be with your mouth and teach what you shall speak. You know, so often God gives us the words and we say, I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the ability to go and say, and God's saying, I've given you that ability. But the most beautiful thing is in this passage, Moses still speaking to God, 
the creator of the universe. Moses still fails to believe it. And God says to him, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron? Oh, sorry, Moses says, Lord, please send somebody else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth and with his mouth and, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the sign. So Moses says, God, I can't do that thing you've given to me. I can't outwork the thing you've given. And God says, good, I'll bring, I'll bring Aaron with you. If you can't do it, I don't think it was can't, I think it was won't do it. I'll give you something else to work it through. Because at the end of the day, the plan that God has is most important. Had Moses and Aaron turned down this task, God would have called somebody else. Because the task is what's important. But the beauty of it is that God called Moses. God said, Moses, you're my guy. And Moses says, I can't. He says, all right, well, I'll give you everything you need. Well, I need somebody to speak to me. Okay, I'll give you Aaron. Well, I need the signs. Okay, here's a staff. Well, I need more signs. Okay, well, here's some water. Pour it out and it'll become blood. I think Moses could have kept going with excuses all day and God would have kept giving him the answers. You need something else? Here it is. What else do you need to do it? That's why when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, ask for your daily bread because it's the tasks, it's the tools that we have to complete the tasks. God, give me the staff that I need today. God, give me the Aaron that I need today. God, give me the thing that I need to complete your your task because, Father, your task is what's most important for me. You know, when we wake in the morning, when we stand up out of our bed and we say, God, what you have for me today is what's most important. Our life changes. We, we met with guys this, week, this last weekend past where I was in awe of their desire to be the hands and the feet of God. There was no what about me. There was no whinging and whining and griping. There was just a beautiful picture of I want to I work with you, God. Hardy Baker told a story that when she first went to Africa to work, to do the work of God, she didn't want to work with children. She didn't want to work in, in the, the rough parts of Africa. So God sent her to the dump to save kids. And then God called her on from that into the northern parts of Africa, into, the, into tribes and into nicer parts of Africa out of the dumps. She got on her knees and she said, God, I'm not going. I've refused to leave the rubbish dumps. I refuse to leave your children. So God said, oh, you can take 50 kids with you. So she took an army of 50 kids north to see others saved. You see, when we say to God, God, I don't want to do that. God goes, I'll show you how you can do that. When I first started getting serious with God, I said, God, I'll go anywhere but India. First place I went on a mission trip, India. And I now have a heart for the, for the guy that we went into, Jiva. I want to see, he's a phenomenal man. But God says, uh-uh, son, my ways are not your ways. The things that I'm going to show you are not the things that you need to see. I'm going to do it my way because I'll tell you what, my way is better than your way. And every time you ask me for it, I'll show you a better way. Every time you think you can do it in your strength, I'll show you a better way. 
God has given us the things we need. And God will call us into bigger and bigger and bigger things. Go forward to Exodus 19. I wanted to, I wanted to go through all the ways that, all the ways that, that Moses saw God, but I don't have the time. So if you, if you want to go back, go back and read between 4 and 19. Read all of the things that God shows Moses along the way. All of the ways that God speaks to Moses. And the thing is, is that Moses has seen God in so many ways when he gets to this point. He's seen Moses, he's spoken, God, sorry, Moses has spoken to God firsthand. He's spoken to him one-on-one through a burning bush, through other various signs where he hears God's voice. But then he gets to the mountain. Now remember, he's come through a number of different signs and wonders that God's showing the parting of the sea, the plagues that God brought, the staff turning back into a snake. We see, we see a number of signs. And then, and then Moses takes the people to the bottom of Mount Sinai. And on, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out for Repidim and came into the wilderness of, into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him on the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, or the signs and the wonders, and how I bore you out on, e- on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, There are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and he called to the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. The people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're on board, Moses. And Moses reported the words of the people of the Lord. And the Lord God said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, I will come down the mountain in the sight of all the people. So all of Israel is on board when God says, I'm going to make you a holy nation. Just listen to my voice and I'll make you a holy nation. Israel goes, Yep, we're on board. That's the easy part. We're with you, God. We've heard what you've said. We're with you. So Moses went down the mountain to the people and consecrated them and washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the nation. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up in a, like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So now we have a picture of a mountain trembling with the power of God. And the people are now standing at the base of the mountain, still on board at this stage. The Lord came down the mountain top, down on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look on them, many of them may perish. 
Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mountain, for you yourself warned us, saying that set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, speaking about who they're worshipping. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the, the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So God is now saying to the people, follow me with your worship. Follow me with everything that you have. Don't look at anything else other than for me and I will bring you into that place. I will bring you into the place. I'm going to skip down to 20 verse 17 because we all know the Ten Commandments, that God gave the Ten Commandments. 20 verse 18, I'm not going to read through them. I just want to, I want to show you this last picture. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Israel had just come out of Egypt through the power of God, and they were on board, until God came to them on the mountain in absolute power, and spoke to them in thunder, to which they said, oh, we didn't think it was going to look like this. Moses, we don't want to talk to God. They'd just seen everything that he did. they had just watched him pull them out of Egypt, the place of, of hurt and pain, and bring them through everything in his power. And then they get to the final place and God says, come and talk to me. And they say, it's too scary, we're not going. The interesting thing is that when we start to see God move in our life, there's times that we say, nope, that's too scary. And God's going, come. Come into this place. It's too scary, God. I don't want to sit with you. Bring somebody else. You see, the interesting thing is that Moses got it. Moses didn't get it in the beginning where he said, can you not send somebody else? Because Moses then goes down. He goes down to the people and he says to them, do not fear for God has come to test you. That's rich from Moses saying to not fear when earlier he was saying, God, I can't do it because I don't have the right things. And then Moses goes, no, I've seen my God. I've seen what God can do through that place. Do not fear him because he loves us and he wants to bring us into something new. Moses grew and learned in that short time that he came through that suffering of Egypt into the, the, in, into the base of Mount Sinai. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I want you to notice that it wasn't Aaron that said that, it was Moses. So God brings Aaron up on the mountain with Moses. And you think, okay, well, God's going to tell Moses, Moses is going to tell Aaron, and Aaron's going to go down and tell Israel. But Moses, so capsulated by who God is, goes down and he says to them, do not fear. All of a sudden, he doesn't need the voice of Aaron anymore because he's understood who God is. Because he's seen the power of his father. He's seen the, the, the very beauty of God. Not only that, 
Moses now knows a God who would speak to him face to face and he says, Moses, when I come in my power and my glory, it's not going to look like it has before. I'm not going to appear to you in a burning bush. I'm not going to speak to you so you can hear me so clearly like I did before. I'm going to come in a glimpse of the power that I carry and I'm going to speak to you in thunder. Could you imagine how frightening that would have been? And we hear God say, go and speak to that guy in the supermarket. And we start to tremble. But God is saying to that guy, in thunder, Moses, tell my people not to fear me. You see, Moses had come so far from that little guy at the very start who didn't know what to do with his own um, voice that wasn't eloquent enough. That he, he, he puts all of that aside. He puts all of the rubbish of who he thought he was because he goes, but God, I know my father now. I wonder if he wouldn't have gone back and said, God, I'm so sorry that I didn't know that to begin with. I didn't know who you told me I was. I didn't know that you would have given me all the provisions that I would have ever need. Do not fear. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We heard a guy speak, which most of you would have at least seen him before, Nick Vucevic, Vukovic, Vucevicius. And he was born without arms and legs. Most of you know the guy. Yep, you've seen at least a picture. Of his whole sermon that he preached, which was phenomenal, there was one thing that rattled me. He was born, aside from being born without arms and legs, he was born with a, a crooked spine. And his spine wasn't whole, it had holes in it. He asked God to heal his spine. And God healed his spine. Whole. He told the story like he was the biggest superstar, happiest thing he'd ever seen. A guy without arms and legs told a story about God heal, healing his back. I'm sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? You are excited that God healed your back when you don't have arms or legs. That you will stand in that place and triumph it and, and yell the name Jesus because he healed your back, but he hasn't healed your arms or legs. And I swear to goodness, he must have heard me think that. Because he said, there's some of you thinking, why wouldn't I be upset with that? He said, God's done more with me without arms and legs than I could have ever done with arms and legs. And he said, that has nothing to do with it anymore, but God would heal my back. That means everything to me. And I thought, flip. We, we don't understand the ways of God. That a man without arms and legs who told everybody he's still... He still has a pair of shoes in his closet for one day. Maybe God will give him legs and he'll need a pair of shoes. That he would wait on the Father. That he would know the power of God. That he would say, do not fear. I know who my Father is. That he could stand in that place and so freely exalt the name of God based on what he's seen in his life, not what he hasn't seen. You see, that's what Moses was doing. 
And God said to him, Moses, I've got something for you. It's in your hand. Use it. It really put me in a place where I started thinking, all right, God, what have you put in my hand that I don't understand? What gifts have you given me that I don't quite get yet? And the scary thing is that when God reveals them to you, you're not going to understand at first. But he will show you what they're there for. See, God's calling us to something. One of the coolest things we, we heard the guys say at the Awakening Australia event was that it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with the event. It had nothing to do with, with what they had put on. It has everything to do with this right here us and what God's doing in each and every one of us that's what it has to do with that God's given you something as much as you've said I don't understand it God I can't do that I'm not fast enough I'm not eloquent enough I can't speak enough I can't do it like that guy can flip I walk the streets with guys that understand evangelism leagues better than I do I'm standing there thinking jeepers I can't speak to people like that I actually went to Matty Russell and said, hey, bro, I'm well out of my comfort zone right here. And he just laughed and said, that's all good. God will sort it out. And sure as eggs, God sorted it out. But you see, we all have something. Don't look at, at Bill Johnson and say, I'll never be like that, because he never did that. He went to God and said, God, what have you put in my hands? Don't look at Heidi Baker and say, I can never reach people like she can because she went to God and said, God, what have you put in my hands? You see, when we go to our knees and we say, God, show me who you are. You see, David won against Goliath, not because he was better than Goliath, but because he had quietly fought the lion and the bear on his own. He had gone to his knees. He had gone to his knees in that quiet place. He said, God, what have you given me? And God said, because you've been faithful with that thing, I'll give you so much more. Because you took that staff, and when I told you, you tossed it on the ground, and I showed you what it looked like, I'm going to give you so much more. I'm going to watch you bring a nation to me. I just want to show you two more verses, and then, and then we're going to take some communion. And go and worship God. If you've got a Bible, go to Acts 15 for me. Um, down to 22. Can you give me a glass of water, please? Acts 15, verse 22. Um, I'm, just, I'm just quickly skimming to see if I should go above that. Um, sorry, hang on three seconds. What did I say? Acts, Acts 15, 12, verse 21. Thank you. Yeah, 15, 12. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> That's better. That makes more sense. 
Paul and Barnabas talking to the Jerusalem council. And the council falls silent. And it's over to, to, to Barnabas and to Paul. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul and they, they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas standing before the council of Jerusalem and they've just recounted the things that they've seen God do. They've just expressed the power of God to the Jerusalem council. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with these words of the prophets agree, just as it was written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For the ancient generations Moses has had in every city to those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James is saying that we're going to rebuild the tent of David. What was the tent of David built on? Worship. Worship. Not just the worship we're going to see here in a minute, but worship. A deep adoration for God the Father. A one-on-one place and a corporate place of deep adoration to the Father. And James says that's what's going to be built. In Acts The church that we carry now, James says, that's what's going to be built in this place. A people who understand an adoration for the Father that they used to have back in the old days. Go back a few books into Amos 9 verse 13 and 15. James didn't come up with this on his own. He was quoting a prophecy made by Amos. And this is the prophecy that he made. Behold. Now, I'll read all of it, 9-11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Adam and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given to them. That's the promise of God that we stand on. That's what James is saying. That those days are here. 
that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of the grapes, him who sows the seed. And those things get done through the tabernacle of David, which is a tabernacle of worship to God the Father. You see, when the church truly takes hold of this principle, we will see this nation set on fire. One of the coolest things we saw for me, the other one that I didn't mention, was thousands upon thousands of people in a stadium for what felt like to me 15, 20 minutes singing without any music, holy, holy, holy. That was electric to my spirit. People, there was nobody leading it, there were no fancy musics, fancy music, there was no fancy music, there was no eloquent singers or or drummers or anything it was just the sounds of people who were adoring god the father that's what this nation needs to set on fire that's what this nation is going to be restored that's what god's doing in this place so just go back to acts 15 12 verse 21 i want to read it one more time After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. That those left over in mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them, to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood, which is their worship. For from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. You see, that adoration of old is what we see when we see Abraham give his tithe to Melchizedek. There's no law behind it. It was freely given. That's the people of old that come to God and freely give of themselves. God, I freely, I come and I give myself to you. It's all about you, God. And then God pours out on a people and he changes what that place looks like. In a minute, I want to, I'm going to ask guys to come and take communion. And then I want us to go into worship. Actually, do you guys, do you want to play, Shani? But I want, to, I want to explain something about communion before we take it. Because it's something that I think we need to understand in a greater capacity for this thing to actually have the power that it carries. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, Jesus says, he takes the bread and he gives thanks. The first thing he does with it is he gives thanks to God. He breaks it, he gives it out to them, and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, we've taken that in remembrance of me, and we've done something with it where when we take communion, 
we put ourselves in the headspace of we put ourselves in the headspace of God I'm going to remember what that cross scene looked like so we thank God for for him going to the cross dying for us and forgiving our sins but that's not what Jesus is talking about that's in part of what he's talking about as I've spoken before when Jesus fulfilled the old covenant he cut a new covenant with the father and I explained what the what the steps are in that you can go back and listen um, I don't know where it is but it's on our thing website thing but he cut covenant with God and he when we get saved he allows us in to that covenant and what covenant meant in the Jewish time was that it was a it was the person you cut covenant with was the person who fought for you there were a few different signs that they would do they would cut themselves to give themselves the same scar so that they could resemble who that person was they would have a feast like what we see Jesus does here they would plant a tree so that so that you could see that oh yeah that tree reminds me of the covenant that I cut with that guy now the beauty of the covenant was that if I went into battle after I'd cut covenant with Tim because I'd cut covenant with Tim Tim had to come with me so my battle now turned in from my army against my enemy to mine and Tim's army against my enemy so we come into partnership if he doesn't come with me I have the right to kill Tim based on the covenant unto death so a covenant was designed to say this is who I'm fighting with this is who I'm partnered with now so when Jesus says remember me he's saying remember the covenant that we cut remember the covenant that I've brought you into that every battle that you go into I fight with you every every mountain you stand to climb I climb with you my army is with your army but there's also a little bit more in that because in that he also says but you come for me and you fight for me so when we take communion we take commune communion on a thing that the Jewish people understood and it was to act on my behalf when they said remember me in covenant that was saying act on my behalf when you go out into that city when you go out into that place when you go out you're acting on my behalf you now carry my people with you so when you do something wrong and we both and and you go down we both go down when you do something incredible and you rise we both rise because now in that covenant we are one and we walk in that way so when Jesus says every time you take of this meal act on my behalf and remember who I am remember that I died for you and I've cleansed your sin but also remember that I call you into greater things I call you into something that you haven't been standing in before and I felt as I was praying this morning that there's there's people that are holding a grudge or they're holding a pain or a hurt and when you come to take this if you choose to do not take it holding on to that thing do not carry that into communion with God Jesus says in Matthew if you are offering your gift at the altar 
And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Because in that pain with your brother that you're carrying, you're going to stand before here and you're going to act on behalf of Jesus. Act first with that brother on behalf of Jesus. That when you come and you take of communion, you are standing in that place to say, God, I'm acting on your behalf and help me to do that. That's why we don't just take it once. We take it again and again and again because we keep remembering, man, I I got that wrong, but God, I'm going to act on your behalf. I'm going to come back to that place and I'm going to take this communion. I'm going to eat of your body and drink of your blood because it's you who I'm fighting for. When we stand in that place of hurt and we we are, are battling and it feels like things are rocking against us, we take that communion and we say, God, you are fighting for me in this. You are the one that I stand with in this thing. And God, on your behalf, you will fight for me. So the reason that I didn't want to hand it around is is I I want you to come forward and make an active choice to take the communion. If If you're not saved, if you don't know who God is, don't take communion. Come and talk to me. Because you can't act on behalf of Jesus if you don't know who he is. You can't take of his covenant if you haven't entered into that covenant. And I tell you the most incredible thing you could do with your life is enter into that covenant with God where he says, I'll fight for you and I'll give you the things you need. But why don't we just take a minute Go to God. Close your eyes. Go to God. Whatever pain and suffering you've got to give to Him, give it to Him. And then come forward. Take of communion and say, God, I'm with you in this thing. Show me the staff you've given me. Show me the gifts, the abilities you've given me. I'm going to remember you in my life. I'm going to remember you in my walk. I'm going to listen to the things you say. and I'm going to walk in those things. Father, God, we come to you just right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and move. Come and highlight the things you need to highlight. Come and show us the things, Father. We just repent right now, Jesus. We shift our eyes to you. We say, take this stuff, Lord. Take this stuff that we don't want to carry anymore, Father. We want to act on your behalf, Jesus. We want to act on your behalf, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
Father, we want to see you move in this city, God. Father, I declare right now, God, that we will be the generation that will dance in the streets, Father. We will be the generation, God, that will swim in the waters that fill this city, Father. We will be the generation that will pull down the walls, God, that were built before us, Father, to see your kingdom come, to see your will done in this place, Father. Come and move, God. Come and flood this house, Father. Come and flood this city, Lord. And let us dance in your streets, Father. Let us dance in the water that you've given us, God. Let us dance a generation that knows you, Father. A generation that declares you, God. Come and move in this place, Lord. We are here, Father, hungry, God, to see you come. Hungry to see you move, God. We are your people, Father. And we declare that generation forth right now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
I am really sense this morning there is an invitation from the Holy Lord to come just like he invited the Israelites to come to the mountain. There's an invitation for us to draw closer to God this morning. There's an invitation to come into the presence of God like we've never known before. There's an invitation to come deeper into the heart of God. And I sense God saying, fear stop you. Don't let shame and guilt and condemnation stop you this morning. There's an invitation to come close to God this morning, to come close to the heart of the Lord this morning. And I sense God just wants us to just stand together and just to, to pray with one another. Because it's not just personally the invitation, it's not just personally the invitation is corporately that as a people of God in this house, that we would draw closer and closer to God, that we would not let fear stop us, not, not let uncertainty stop us, not thinking of what will happen when God breaks out, not to be fearful of what might happen. So I just want us to, um, maybe we can just put our hand on, um, on our hearts and the other hand, maybe we can touch each other's shoulder or hold hands if you feel comfortable doing that. But let's pray for one another. Let's pray that um, we would heed that invitation of God to just come closer. Father, I want to pray right now, Lord God, that we would just respond to you this morning. In the, in your, as we stand in your presence, we would respond to that invitation to come closer, to come deeper, to come higher. Lord, into your presence. Lord, to the mountain of God, the holy mountain of God that is on fire. Lord God, that we would not shrink back with fear and guilt and condemnation. Lord, but we would approach you boldly this morning, Lord God, as, as a people individually, but also as a people corporately. And that we would stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, Lord God. Lord, to encourage one another, to bless one another. Lord, to cheer each other on, Lord God, and, and, and together, Lord God, that we will come before you and give you permission, Holy Spirit, to do whatever you want to do. Come and do what only you can do, Lord God, in this house, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages. Lord, in our world, wherever we are, wherever we go, Lord God, that we would carry that fire of your presence. We would f carry the fire of your love, Lord God, and... And that as this house, Lord God, as we embark on, on this journey, a journey of awakening, a journey of embracing what you are going to do, Lord God, embracing your kingdom, embracing heaven on earth, Lord God. Father, we want to be strong and courageous. We want to trust you, trust in your goodness, in your faithfulness, in your love, Father. And so we just release, Lord God, your blessing to one another. Lord, if, we need, if anyone needs healing, let your healing flow. Lord, if, if anyone needs peace, let your peace flow. Let your joy flow. Let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Father, we just thank you, God. Oh, I just thank you for who you are, Father. I thank you, God, that we can come so freely and meet with you, Father. That you, the creator of everything, powerful God, who is, who was, and who is to come, we can come and meet with you whenever we want. That you chase us, Father. That you call us home, Jesus. That you delight in us, that you smile over us. There's my son, my daughter. Come and see. Father, I just thank you for the work that you're doing in this place, Lord. For every heart that's here this morning, Father, that you just continue to pour out, Lord God, pour out. And fan that flame, Jesus. As we sung this morning, God, we say yes, Lord. We are your people, Father. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, when you come and you pour out in this place, we will dance in the streets. We will submerge ourselves in the fullness of who you are, God. We love you, Jesus. We just honour you. We honour you, Father. Thank you, God.
God, we just exalt your name, Jesus. We just exalt your name, Father. Better is one day to stand with you like this, Lord, than a thousand anywhere else, God. We can stand and sing of your praise forever because you are so glorious, Father. So incredible and so powerful, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We honor you. We just worship your name, Jesus. Amen. It's quite incredible when you decide to focus on God, what He'll do. I was just standing there trying to figure if we should end this thing at all or just stay here for the rest of our lives and just continue to give glory to God. But you know, guys, this, the Sunday morning that you get is a small little piece out of the tap that I was talking about. But God is actually calling us to be flooded by Him. That if you come on a Sunday morning, that is incredible and I encourage you to keep doing that. But it's a small piece of a flood that God's going to give us. We get to come and position ourselves and say, God, I want more than my Sunday morning fill. I want more than my little cup piece. I want to meet with you every day, day in, day out. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice, God. We get to decide to do that. So when we go from here, you go knowing, man, that's the tip of something bigger that God has for us. And when you come back next week, you come back and share the little bit more that God showed you. And He gives you a little bit more. And we take that and we see more and we share more. That's how this thing works. So thank you. I bless you. I have 101 announcements, but I don't feel like doing any of them, so... We'll put announcements on the back TV and we'll cycle through them here now. So keep an eye out and we'll do some Facebook updates and things. So keep an eye out there. But if you're still being ministered to by God, just stay there. But if not, there's coffee at the back and Jess has put together an array of treats. Go and be, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Tithes and offerings. If you want to give, if God is showing you what to give and you give regularly, the tithes basket is at the back. So please go and do that. Give what you, whatever you feel to give, whatever God's speaking to you. Freely you, you've been given, so freely you give.